Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone, and joining me over Skype today is Chris Nee and uh, Bob Ferrante. Do you like that, Bob? Buongiorno. <laughs> Very nice. Um, well, thanks for joining us, guys. It's been a while, a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, everyone's kind of been on vacation and, you know, slow summer, dog days, uh, whatnot. But uh, we're starting to get back into the swing of things here. We have the ACC kickoff coming up uh, later this week uh, on Thursday, and both uh, Chris and Bob will be joining me in a nice, what, about an eight, eight-and-a-half-hour car ride up to uh, Charlotte. So hopefully we'll have some stories for you guys from the uh, from the car ride because it's always pretty pretty entertaining. I don't know how many of them we can always repeat uh, on air, even even by our standards of, of a pretty liberal uh, uh, swears and and. Uh, raunchy stories so anyways uh, let's get to football talk here and and uh i think the the thing is we're going to go today is talk a little bit about the acc kickoff kind of what to expect i guess what you guys kind of expect uh, from coverage that kind of stuff and then we have a bunch of really good questions that i uh i want to get to so so real quick let's go to the acc kickoff joining uh jimbo fisher up there will be both deandre francois and derwin james uh, Bob, I'll start with you. I guess what is a, a storyline for Florida State? A question you want to ask? Something that I guess you're kind of going to be focusing on uh, on Thursday when we're up there. I think the big one is is injury updates to uh, to the roster guys like Landon Dickerson. I know there's been a lot of interest in how his progress has been, and you know I think it, it's just kind of getting a feel for is is everybody that that missed the spring. As as Fisher mentioned, he said they'd be ready for the start of, of fall camp and. You know, we just want to know, is, is everybody going to kind of be ready as the preparations for Alabama begin? And then, yeah, it's going to be fun talking with uh, with Derwin James. I can imagine he's going to be a uh, one of the most colorful characters of the ACC kickoff. And and DeAndre, you know, we've, we've kind of mentioned this in the past. He's an introvert. He's not that outspoken. But I can kind of see him, um, you know, opening up a little bit about, you know, his, his progress over the past year and what he expects from this team. So it's going to be interesting to talk to uh, – to those three. And Chris, how about you? I'm looking forward to the uh, hype machine. You know, greatest summer ever. We got stronger, bigger, faster, all the things that you hear every summer, every cliche. But uh, in reality, I think the thing I'm most interested in hearing about is the offensive line. I want to hear what DeAndre's thoughts on the offensive line are. You know, Derwin can share his thoughts since he works some in the trenches on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's the biggest key to this team, especially with the first game opponent. So something I'm very interested in hearing about. Yeah, and we'll see kind of, I guess, what kind of gains guys have made. Uh, we've heard a lot of good things about Brock Rubel this offseason. I just wrote about Rick Leonard and our uh, our top 30 countdown, which we can get into as well. So it'll be interesting to kind of see. Uh, yeah, like I guess I'll put it this way. Like Chris said, there's going to be a hype machine. And, and I think last year, uh, I admittedly didn't do a great job of kind of sifting through the hype, but it was tough. There was a lot of... A lot of really positive uh, talk about the team for pretty much everyone we talked to, whether it be coaches or players, stuff on record, off record, whatever. Everything was really overwhelmingly positive. So, um, you know, as, as a reporter, I think that's something to kind of take with a grain of salt is is that hype machine. Uh, I, I guess I'm curious, though, and in, in kind of, again, trying to, trying to put that into perspective is what some of the guys like a DeAndre and, and Derwin with these veterans who now have a year or two starting under their belt – uh, have to say about some of the younger guys who are at Florida State and then not guys that we are asking questions about necessarily but who they bring up yeah, I remember a couple years ago 
uh, Jalen Ramsey spoke really highly of Marcus Lewis and Tavares McFadden. Uh, McFadden has gone on to be one of the, the better cornerbacks in, in the country, whereas Lewis uh, kind of struggled last year and for a variety of reasons. Uh, but that was someone that he talked about kind of unprovoked, or at least you know, he was kind of given a, a forum to ask who he, who he was impressed with, and he talked about those guys. So I'm kind of interested in sifting through the minutiae, I guess. That's kind of something I always enjoy, and, and hopefully that'll kind of yield some some tidbits and stories for, for us to kind of kind of send to you guys uh, as, as kickoff goes. Is there anything with uh, Swafford or that we're expecting no big announcements this year, right, Bob? You're kind of uh, usually you're pretty dialed in on that. I think this is supposed to be kind of a slower year as opposed to last year when they had the, the network and whatnot that they were announcing. Yeah, I don't think we're expecting anything big. John Swafford's going to speak Thursday morning, I think at 10 a.m., and, um, you know, last year it was the big announcement with the channel. And, and of course, that starting off from a linear aspect in August of 2019. So we're really not expecting anything beyond the the casual update from him as far as, you know, the, the issues with ESPN, the cord cutting and some of their financials. But I think all indications are the channel is moving fully forward and, uh, and no real surprises. We might get a few updates there. I think we've seen kind of as a as a minor topic in the SEC is some chatter about realignment. I don't think that's going to be much of a topic in the ACC. I think we'd all maybe like to see some tweaks to the alignment where some of these divisions make a little bit more sense. Um, you know, FSU not playing Georgia Tech. It, I know you don't want to see it stylistically, but I think fans want to see a Florida State, Georgia Tech, for example. But Mm -hmm. again, I don't really think realignment is on the table. So it it could be kind of a low key uh, session with Swafford. This is fine. I'm I'm fine with slow. Slow is good sometimes. uh, And we'll be able to kind of focus then hopefully on the Florida State stuff. Um, real quick, I kind of forgot to mention this in the beginning of the podcast, two housekeeping things uh, for you guys who are still listening so far, and hopefully that's most of you. But uh, one, uh, we have new technology that we're trying to uh, to kind of uh, get going here. Uh, the guys over at uh, the Big Three podcast kind of, or the Big Three Roll-Up podcast have uh, you know, turned me on to some of the recording stuff that they use. Uh, Josh helped out with that, and TJ did as well. So we're trying out that out a little bit to, to see uh, you know if the quality's better. So bear with us. Uh, hopefully this is something that we get uh, down pretty quickly, and hopefully it does sound better right now. Uh, but we got to kind of play around with the way we are recording uh, the podcast and, and kind of the equipment that we're using. Um, it should sound better, hopefully, from Bob and Chris's end. Uh, now it's just kind of integrating the audio and making sure it all sounds good. And then secondly, uh, we're expecting to have a recruiting podcast later in this week, hopefully with uh, with both Josh and uh, and Chris. So today's going to be more about football and stuff like that. So sorry, uh, I know I should have mentioned that in the beginning, but I'm a little out of it still from a post-dental uh, post, uh, procedure. So let's talk a little bit, guys, real quick about the uh, top 30 countdown that we're doing of the most important uh, Florida State players. Uh, Bob and I kind of you know, tag-teamed this list and, and put it together uh, I guess about a, two weeks ago or so, uh, and we are currently up to number 22, and I'll just read out the where we're at so far. 30 is Baby on Johnson at center, 29, uh, safety A.J. Westbrook, 28, defensive end Jalen Wilkerson, 27, tight end Maven Saunders, 26, linebacker Rodaire Coskins, 25, kicker Roberto, or sorry, Ricky Aguayo, <laughs> Uh, 24 kicker Logan Tyler and 23 uh, cornerback Kyle Myers. I keep saying Roberto and I wrote it actually in the story the other day, so um, it's gonna happen. But 
Chris, I, I guess you, you you were already on vacation. We started putting that list together of the guys that we have so far. Um, anyone that you disagree with uh, pretty adamantly as to, to where they're you know, too high, too low, uh, anyone that we've whiffed on so far? No, I, there's nobody I'd jump on the table and yell about. I think Bavion is a pretty big, important piece of the puzzle, but it's tough to have him higher since we're not even sure he'll be the starter at center or that he'll start at all. Um, but I think Bavion's a guy that, you know, can kind of swing some things. I've, you know, not trying to jump on Al Gabberly, but, you know, I've been pretty forward with the fact that I think it would be interesting to see something different at center. That's Remington Trophy watch list, uh, Alec Eberly. So you watch your mouth, sir. I'm I'm amazed that none of the three of us made a watch list yet. I mean, there's only like 85 names on each watch list. It's so difficult to get in. What's the criteria? Having two legs and playing football? Oh, that may be more an indictment on our uh, our athleticism and physical skills than it is on the the watch list. Than if we didn't actually make it onto the list. Um, <laughs> Bob, Bob, you put together. You helped me with the list. Like, so there's probably nothing. Um, that looks too out of place for you. I know we had some some debate and we kind of you know put things together, but uh, I guess I want to get your thoughts on this. I think the we put a poll on the bottom of each each one of these to kind of get you know the readers or get our readers and I guess listeners uh, input on it and see what you guys think. And and the two that have been the most off where I think people have kind of disagreed with is Ricky Aguayo at twenty five. Uh, more people said that 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 wasn't the right range for him that he should be you know, earlier on the list or higher up, I guess, you know, closer probably in the, in the teens. Uh, and then Rick Leonard, uh, which we have up today and that, you know, poll is still ongoing, but uh, it's pretty close to where he's, he, people think he should be a little higher up. So uh, I guess maybe explain to people why we had Aguayo and Leonard in that range. Uh, and, and I forget if you were more adamant, whether you wanted Aguayo earlier or not. I, I think I wanted him pretty pretty uh late on the list kind of in the 30 range so that might be my fault <laughs> i remember one of the guys that i mentioned earlier you know with you was was josh ball i think you might have had him in the 20s and you know slight spoiler alert he he hasn't been revealed yet he'll, he'll be a little bit higher he will be on the uh, list yeah i just think you know left tackle replacing a a quality starter in Roderick johnson i know he's been criticized for how he didn't develop but guy was a two-time Jacobs winner and you know protecting the blind side for for DeAndre so I think Josh Ball was one that I, I kind of argued for a little bit higher mm-hmm. um you know, with Ricky specifically I think you need to see that improvement from year one to year two a little bit more consistency those those three missed field goals against North Carolina granted the distance was not a gimme but he needed to make one of those and he missed all three and you know, that's, that's one of those where in a tight game, you need your kicker to come through. I think there's going to be a lot of tight games this year, a lot of difficult situations where you're not in Tallahassee. So you could see him having a pressure kick against Alabama, at Clemson, at Florida. You need to just see him have a little bit more confidence going into year two, and I think he will. Um, so I argued, you know, Ricky, it, I like where he is in the rankings. And I think when you have a guy who can produce points, especially if your offense stalls out. I mean, we don't know how this offensive line may pan out. Mm -hmm. What if there are issues in the red zone? What if they can't punch it in? You need to have that kicker who you can feel confident in making field goals. Yeah, that obviously impacts play calling and and what the offense can do kind of once it crosses, you know, midfield 40 40 yard you know 40 yards away from the the end zone i guess kind of what what they're going to do whether you try to be aggressive or you're going to be a little bit more conservative and 
I'll say this though about Ricky. It's like, you know, I, I, as we're putting the list together, it, the title is most important. But we mentioned in the stories is that important, quote unquote, isn't just like what position is the most important because then it would be quarterback one, left tackle two, you know, defensive tackle, defensive end, you know, three, four, and and it's going to kind of play out that to a certain extent. But but you know, this may be arbitrary, but yeah. I, it's also based on what we think a guy's overall talent is, how they're much they're going to contribute. Uh, it's going to have depth uh, factored in. So the fact you have Logan Tyler and someone that can can come in and push Aguayo and, and and possibly could do that or at least handle like long field goals, I think that kind of you know minimizes you know Aguayo's quote unquote importance. Um, so that was kind of just explaining why. Yeah, I, I think this fan base probably has kind of a, uh, some bugaboos about kicking, and I understand why uh, there's an importance for for place kickers. But but like Bob said, he has to be more confident or this year. I think uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but he was uh, after that Ole Miss game, or where was he? Five for five, at Ole Miss six for six. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but I want to say it was six for six. I mean, it was a really good debut, and maybe that set the bar a little too high, and and the expectations were. Hey, this kid's just as good as Big Brother, and and you know, not going to have any issues. But you know, it, it's it's tough when you're a true freshman and you're kicking, you know, meaningful, significant kicks in front of that many people. You know, I, I'm not putting the North Carolina game on Ricky or anybody. That's that that'd be silly for us to do. But when you look back at it, that was early in the game. The offense was struggling. You know, Ricky could have if he produces one of those field goals, it, it significantly helps, you know, Fisher, as he calls plays, the confidence of the offense is, Hey, you know, if we don't score a touchdown, well, we at least know Ricky will get us three. You, you always have that kind of in your back pocket. So I, I just think Ricky is incredibly important and Logan too. I mean, the special teams in general needs to take a step forward Ricky Logan, you know, returns, coverage, the whole thing. That's that's a phase of the game where we really need to see improvement from FSU in 2017. Chris, is it fair to say that that Bob is like our designated special teams beat writer? Beat writer, I feel like he just loves special teams. He's rubbing his hands together. Looks kind of like a villain that's tied someone to the train tracks right now. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely beats the drum harder than either of us when it comes to those guys. But uh, I agree wholeheartedly with him. I mean, I think they need to take a major step forward. There's a lot of hidden yards in football games that they're not capitalizing on their return games been downright piss poor for the last couple of years. So, you know, if they can't correct that, then they're kind of, you know, squandering an opportunity. You have too many talented athletes on FSU's football team, not to be better at returning kicks at returning punts. You know, I think they're fairly good at covering punts and covering kicks, which shows to their athleticism, but it's not working in reverse. Yeah, that's been one of the more kind of inexplicable things since I've been covering Florida State is just the, the inability to have a consistent punt returner. I think Kenny Shaw was the best punt returner since I started covering the team in 2013, and he wasn't dynamic. He was just consistent fielding it. Uh, it it's That's been inexplicable and, and weird, and I just don't know why these athletes that they have aren't translating over to, to first not even being meaningful like as returners, but then just not being consistent and, and fielding it. And I don't know if that's an indictment on Florida State, or if that's maybe something that's that's a problem nationally if you kind of look at how teams are producing with returners year in, year out. Like, I don't know if it's just us having them under a microscope, but uh, 
I will say, like, the punt coverage last year statistically wasn't very good. The punt return stats weren't very good. Uh, kickoff coverage is great and has been consistently good. Uh, but outside of that, it's been kind of iffy up and down on special teams. So, I don't know, guys. Your guess is as good as mine as to kind of why those issues are persisting. It's weird. Yeah, that Levante Taylor guy might be pretty good. They, they might want to try him on, uh, on punt returns. Him on yeah, punt returns, Cam Makers maybe? I don't know. I wholeheartedly thought going into last year that Levante would at least get a shot there, and it just never happened. And I, I don't know why. And we didn't really see it a whole lot in the spring either. So I'm not sure what the difference is there. I don't know why that came about. Something I really should just ask probably Jimbo or Jay Graham or somebody that's associated with special teams. Maybe one day you'll be allowed to ask Jay Graham on the record. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, uh, media day. We will have a media day like in a month or so. So maybe they'll bring him out there. Jay usually talks. Yeah. And, and then you won't talk to him for like another three months until bowl game, and then another six months until. Uh, never mind. People don't like to hear about media bitching about our you know, our, our poor. Issues. Yeah, but I, not to get off on a side tangent, but I think it's disappointing for fans that they don't get to hear from the assistants. FSU has veteran assistants. These guys have been through the ringer, done at a lot of different stops, had a lot of success, a lot of places. They're they're good when they're at the podium or they're discussing a subject or they're explaining something. They're thorough. They're informative. They're intelligent dudes who understand football. You know, I I think it's kind of I understand the whole one voice idea. You know, Jimbo's been clear with that from the moment he took over. But it, it's disappointing in my view that they don't hear from guys. I mean, Charles Kelly is enjoyable to hear talk about defense. He mm-hmm. he is an intelligent dude. I think people would have a very different view of him if they heard him speak on it far more often. And, uh, you know, Odell is fantastic. Odell is kind of the old grandfather of FSU football on the staff. You know, he's a dude that's been around this thing for three decades. So it's great to hear him talk. He has kind of that emotional injection about the team that you don't get from some other guys. Jay Graham's intelligent, excellent to talk about his backs. You know, Randy Sanders knows quarterbacks. He knows offense. He has a lot of say and input and kind of plays a balancing act with Jimbo on the offense. And I think it's disappointing that we don't get the viewpoint of those guys about some of these things where they can explain things more thoroughly specific to their uh, segment or their position or their side of the ball. Brad Lyons a ton of fun, like when we've gotten to talk to him a couple of times. Really smart guy and energetic and charismatic. But but to Chris's point, like, yeah, you know, Charles Kelly last year when people are, I mean, you know, driving around town with with fire fire Charles Kelly like painted onto their their car windows and people are screaming it at him at you know on the sidelines. Like, man, that guy deserves a chance to at least go up and talk and explain what's going on. Like that was bullshit that the players like were the ones defending him at a certain point. Like this is not a good look at the end of the day. Um, I get again that one voice thing does make sense. I think ultimately that probably, you know, Jimbo thinks that benefits him. You know, the risk versus reward that is is more so one voice, and you kind of deal with situations like that as they come. Um, but I think that's a disservice to, you know, the human being Charles Kelly, the the you know the the coach Charles Kelly, and again like the players going up and being the ones you know speaking out and defending him. It just it would be nice to hear from the guys occasionally, but. Uh, Bob, do you want to add to the media tangent uh, rant right now, or you uh, you want to let it die here? I think you guys said what I wanted to say. <laughs> in, in, in general, though, I think there could be a situation where on Mondays we talk to the coordinators for you know five to ten minutes after Jimbo, before Jimbo, whatever. Um, you know, on a week to week basis, I, I can understand why we don't need to talk to all of the assistants, but it would be great to. 
you know, get a little bit of feedback from, from some other coaches uh, beyond Jimbo. And that's, we're just, we're, we're trying to just give a, a good, you know, kind of cross section of ideas of what's going on with the team. I think, you know, yeah, with, with all the fire that Charles Kelly was under last year, it, it felt like Demarcus Walker was, was kind of the bodyguard and, and, and stepping up and, and being the outspoken uh, defender. And um, it, it was kind of bizarre. Um, you know, DeMarcus kind of played the role well, but yeah, it, it just doesn't, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Like you, you would think, plus we've said it, I'll, I'll just put it out there. This is, you know, Jimbo had the opportunity as a offensive coordinator and then head coach and waiting under coach Bowden. He was speaking every Monday either before or after Coach Bowden, I can't remember which. I mean, he had the opportunity, along with Mickey, to speak every Monday. And I think this is just good preparation for an assistant to handle the media and to eventually become a head coach. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, and it's not an issue that's completely, I mean, it's not just Florida State. I know it sounds like we're picking on them. This is something that, that Jimbo has picked up from uh, Nick Saban, and, and that's kind of followed through. It trickled down to a lot of other people and, you know, a lot of other coaches uh, around the country that kind of come from that that same line of thinking. What was it at the uh, at Jimbo's uh, football camp? Uh, Clint Trickett was there with another FAU assistant, uh, and I tried to grab him for a second. Clint, you know, he's a really nice guy. I've talked to him before and, you know, talking for interviews, you know, when he was uh, at the JUCO in Mississippi and, and he was great and said hi and stuff. And when you tried to take out the tape recorder to say something, he's like, no, you know, he's uh, Kiffin's my coach and he comes from the Saban branch. So, yeah, that's that policy has trickled down to FAU. But like FAU, man, like it's Florida Atlantic and it'd be so great for a young quarterback coach to be able to talk uh, and, and get his name out there. That just seems like it's something that hurts those guys in the long run. But I digress. People don't want to hear about uh, the, the plight of the media and, and fake news and, and all that stuff. So we'll... Uh, We'll go on to actually something you guys probably do care about since you wrote in questions. We had a lot of really good ones, and that's some some uh, some questions that you guys have sent in. So I'm going to go down the list. There's probably too many to go over each one, which I guess is a good thing since we're already probably, what, 20, 22 minutes into this? Yeah, so we can't go down each one. But uh, so let's start off with uh, Jersey Knoll, uh, 220 or 220. Uh, How is Dickerson, so that's Landon Dickerson, uh, has rehab been going, and will he be full go by camp? Uh, I, I've heard that it's been going pretty well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I've, I've heard that he's going well. We've seen him uh, a couple different occasions where he's putting far past full weight. He was slinging a sledgehammer when I saw him in the spring. Uh, at a Habitat for Humanity build, and I think he was, you know, kind of instructing uh, guys as a counselor at the Jimbo camp. Uh, Chris, you you were at the Jimbo camp. Did you notice a Dickerson happen to see how he was moving? I know you were busy with other things, but yeah, he he was getting down there, setting up, you know, showing guys how to place their feet, moving off the line, hitting the bag, things like that. He was moving just fine. He looked like a dude who was ready to go. I mean, I know taking contacts a little different than the setting we saw him in, but. From everything we could take just from the eye test of watching him, he looks good. Yeah, and I, I, I was told over the spring that he was far ahead of his his uh, where he was supposed to be. So, I mean, we, I, we don't have a definitive answer to say, oh, he'll be full gold by camp. But I would be surprised if he wasn't at least in the mix and, you know, getting a chance to uh, to see how that knee's going in camp. I, I think the expectation is that he should be ready by the season opener. But uh, that might be something that we get from, from Jimbo uh, to get a little clarity on uh, this week. Um, 
Next, and this is from DD Pudge 14. Oh, God, I, I'm going to suck at reading all these names. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, what's the best case scenario for this season as of now, and what's the worst? Uh, Bob, best and worst case in, in your mind? I think best case scenario is they win the ACC, they're in the playoff, and they've got a shot to win it all. I think potentially playing Alabama again in the playoff, that's, that's your best case. Um, it could be an Atlanta to Atlanta season, similar to what they talked about with the Dallas to Dallas in 2014. You know, worst case, I hate to just take the cheap route and go injuries, but I mean, we, we saw what this team looked like without Derwin James last year. And, you know, that, that added up to a couple of games where they fell short defensively. I think worst case scenario is either injuries or offensive line issues. And, you know, a couple of those games go the other way. I still think, you know, the roster's built to win 10 games pretty much every year. I think at worst nine wins, but you know, that's, that's taking into account a lot of things going the wrong way. Chris, yeah, what are your thoughts? I'm sorry. I think best case is 11 and one when the ACC compete in the playoffs, have a shot at the whole thing. Um, you know, I think they're capable of that. I think even if they lose to Alabama, who's the most difficult game on their schedule, that they're still in a perfect setting to make it back to, potentially see them in the playoffs. Um, I think worst case scenario is basically three or more losses, you know, where they kind of fall apart and falter. I look at the Miami game on the 16th. I feel like they should win that game, but you know, who knows come, if you come off a loss of Bama, you have Louisiana Monroe on kind of a short week, even though it's a full week, it's still a little short because you got to travel back from Atlanta. You're going to be a little beat up and worn out and have a bit of an adrenaline dump from that first game. Um, so you kind of have Miami as the next big game for you after Bama. So that's a game that, you know, if they were to lose to Bama, I think that kind of defines their season. If they walk out and they don't play well against a rival at home, then it's kind of concerning. And, you know, you're looking at a team that could potentially lose, you know, three or more games. And roster talent-wise, I don't think they're a team that should lose three or more games. Um, but I think the best case, worst case really all falls in line. And I know I talk about this constantly. I think the O-line is the biggest key to their soul laying this year. Um, you know, I think the best case scenario is completely in play if the O-line is good, if they can pass block at a high level, if they can still effectively run block and allow FSU to run downhill like they did last year. And most of all, if they stay healthy and find five consistent guys they can rely upon who kind of create a rhythm and a you know, understanding of one another. The O-line is so much about five fingers and a glove. And the worst case scenario is that, you know, they suck on the interior and struggle with blocking the edge and they keep rotating guys and they get no rhythm. And, you know, we're facing Louisville on October 21st and FSU's O-line still isn't sure what the hell they are, who the hell they are. And, you know, that to me is kind of the, it's going to pave the road of good or bad, whichever way this goes. No, I, I agree that, you know, with you, Chris, like the best case is, you know, high ceiling. I, mean, I think twelve and zero, like, is realistic. I don't think it's likely because how many teams do go undefeated and run the table. But uh, it, it, this team is talented enough to where that's realistic, and the schedule is such to where you have Alabama, but you know, a lot of your your tougher games, um, you know, conceivably are at home. Um, like, you don't have to go up to Raleigh, which is really nice in the at the end of the stretch at the beginning of the year. Uh, not to say that NC State's always a tough game, but, man, it's never easy going up there. Uh, you have Louisville at home, and I feel like that's a pretty prime position for a revenge game. So I feel like a lot of it sets up, you know, two rivalry games at Clemson at Florida later in the year, and both those teams 
uh, are going to be breaking in new quarterbacks, although by that point in the year they may have it figured out, but yeah, that's still kind of an unknown. So I think the schedule breaks pretty decently for Florida State, just seeing how they do against Alabama, obviously. Uh, but but the worst case I kind of agree too is is man that offense could be a shit show. I, I don't think it's gonna be. I think you know Jimbo has done a really good job in his you know entire time at Florida State of maximizing the skill sets of his players. But I mean there's a realistic scenario where you know does DeAndre Francois take the strides that you know he we think he's capable of. But you know some of those issues that that hurt him last year, even though he was pretty good as a rookie was was. You know, diagnosing the defense. I mean, I think that kind of improves over time. Uh, I don't know if the accuracy gets better. I think Chris has talked about this before, but the short accuracy, I should say, has been something that's kind of been a, an issue for him since, since what, high school, right, Chris? Like, that's... Yeah, working to the short right, kind of yeah. taking the dippy with the running back or the tight end in the flat there to his right is kind of something that, you know, is supposed to be almost a safety valve, and it's been sort of a struggle for him throughout the years. But I, I think to your point on the uh, Francois improvement, I think the guys up front of him have to improve yeah. too. Yeah. Like I, I want to see what he can do with a clean pocket consistently. If he's able to set his feet, not think about getting whacked, and make a strong throw, can he be more consistent? Can he be more accurate? Can he throw to all parts of the field more effectively? That's what I want to see out of him. And I, you know, I'm not going to judge him until the guys in front of him give him the ability to play at his maximum level. Yeah, and, and and then not just the blocking, but you know, the receivers running crisp routes and, and it's gonna be a more talented receiving core than than they had last year with, with Auden Tate and, and Nooney and whoever else kinda of steps up as that third, whether it's Keith Gavin or, or whoever, uh those guys getting more run, you know, than they did at the beginning of last year. Obviously they'll be the guys, but uh are they gonna be more consistent? Are they gonna be like a Travis Rudolph who was usually in the right place or Bobo Wilson? Not dynamic uh playmakers playmakers necessarily, but guys that uh that were at least kind of reliable um in the sense where they would be in the right place which is a huge part of of Jimbo's offense with a lot of uh kind of options in every passing play uh and then even the running backs like you're replacing Dalvin Cook man he made a ton happen last year like against Ole Miss yeah I went back and watched the game I think he was getting hit in the backfield about half the time last year I mean it, it was bizarre um to where he was yeah, the offensive line just wasn't helping him a whole lot, and he was having to kind of carry things. Then he got better. Uh, the offensive line got a little bit better. He got a little bit more comfortable. But, but man, he did a ton last year. Um, so there's a lot of questions about the offensive line that, and, and the offense in general with the skill position guys that, that I think we all kind of have questions about. So long answer short, um, I mean, worst case is, like, the offense could be really, really bad possibly, and if that's the case, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's a, a – you know, a nine-win team instead of a 12-win team or something like that. I, mean, I don't think they're going to be terrible, but they could struggle early in the year. All right. Do we still have Chris, or did he pop off? I don't know if he lost internet. Comcast, you guys, yet again, um, killing me here. Killing me, Comcast. Do we have Chris back? I think so. Hey, Chris. Comcastic, can we blame it on them? Because I was just starting to throw them under the bus. I I think it may have played a role in that. I'm not sure. It was kind of weird. It just you were talking and then you froze up. So I don't know. I'm about I'm back. Let's roll. All right. And yeah, and I was just kind of I wasn't sure if you got knocked off, so I just started kind of rambling there a little bit too as I was trying to figure out what was happening. It wasn't ideal, but here we go. We're 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 good. We're uh, regaining our focus and our composure. So let's uh, let's move on. Uh, subpart F has a about like six or seven questions, and actually. Uh, 
pretty good. I'm trying to find one or two that won't take too much um, digesting here. Let's see. All right, here's a good one. We've, we talked about him in the countdown a little bit. Uh, do you think Jalen Wilkerson will be our starting strong side defensive end for all of 2017? It seems odd that a you know, nine-and-a-half sack freshman, uh, that's uh, Brian Burns, uh, would be the third string, but that seems to be the case if Pugh really is our buck guy. Um, so Jalen Wilkerson uh, is a guy that, that I think I'm kind of – I definitely am high on him. I, I think that he's kind of coming to his own physically. Uh, he's a guy who got pretty good reviews in the spring, and I, I think it's, for him it's a matter of there's just not a whole lot of viable options at strong side defensive end if Josh Sweat isn't that guy, if he doesn't want to move over, if he isn't someone that Florida State sees as being the you know, that Demarcus Walker type of guy. I guess, Chris, what are your thoughts on Wilkerson? I know we've talked about him, like, off-air before and then have both noted his physical transformation. I guess, what do you think his upside is? Is he a, is he a starter for, for Florida State this year, at least a starting role kind of guy? I don't think Jalen Wilkerson will start, at least not most of the year, but I think he's definitely a contributor. You know, I think he's a guy that's going to help um, play a role. I think he's an edge setter. I think he's a big body. If you're playing certain kind of teams that are running towards you, I think he has a role if you're playing teams that are more drop back. I don't think he has as much of a role. You know, I think they got to get Burnsy out there in some form or fashion. I think that you're going to see Sweat still out there consistently. Um, guys like Janarius Robinson, Josh Kando, I think could play a role. So I think with the defensive end, it's kind of more boiled down to figuring out what you need that given game, those four quarters, the opposing team you're playing, and who fits the roles the best. At the end of the day, I still think Sweat is probably, you know, better suited for the strong side defensive end role and burns for the weak side. If you're playing a more natural and you know, the way those things are defined, I think that works better, but it doesn't seem like sweats in a rush to move over there. It doesn't seem like they're forcing them to move over there. So I think you're going to kind of have to fit it together as they go. And one thing I'll say is, is don't get hung up on who starts on defense because what we saw last year is it's so interchangeable. Like, Brian Burns could be listed as a third string defensive end and still have nine and a half sacks. Like we saw that last year. Like that, 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 what the key is going to be is finding the best 11 to get out there on, on defense. And like Chris said, it's going to be dependent on matchups. I think at the end of last year, like the four, three defense with Pew playing the, the outside linebacker role and kind of doing a little bit of everything was really good. In that case, like you can maybe move sweat over to strong side defensive end. They did that a little bit. Uh, later in the year uh, when they were trying to get uh, DeMarcus Walker some rest, even when he played like 800 snaps. So I think Wilkerson, I think we agree, right? Wilkerson's going to be a factor. I, I don't think he's going to be a guy who only plays a little bit. I think he will be a rotational player, maybe a fringe starter, quote-unquote starter. Like it depends, um, I guess, what sets are running, but he will be a rotational guy, maybe like how Georgia Newberry was uh, a couple years ago. I think that's kind of his... Uh, I think that's his floor, and I think his ceiling is if he does progress, um, he could be a guy who, who ends up playing you know, 40% of the snaps or so. Like He could be. Uh, I don't think that's far-fetched at least. Um, all right, moving down here, and, and guys, we're going to go kind of rapid fire and skip over a lot because uh, Comcast has really screwed over uh, <laughs> this, this podcast. I can't even remember what we've recorded and what we haven't because Chris has come in and out uh, a couple times now, and I think he's here for good, uh, hopefully, so... Uh, we're going to go a little bit faster than we uh, had intended to. Um, kind of staying in the same realm, I, I think this is a good question from A.T.L. Noel. <laughs> I actually met him in Oregon. He uh, dropped into the opening for one day, introduced okay. him. Nice guy. 
How did you ask how he pronounces the? No, I, I don't usually meet somebody and go, "Hey, how do you pronounce your screen name?" I know that's not really my icebreaker. That's not my go-to. Uh, see, that's why you're a much more organic uh, conversationalist than I am. I think it was A.T. Lottie Knoll, though, if I remember him correctly, stating what his username was, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, because it looks like it could be like ATL, like you know, like like Atlanta ATL Lottie. I think it's sort of two words smashing together, like brunch. <laughs> mm, brunch. So ATL and Lottie for Lauderdale. But that's just me. Oh, no, I got it. I didn't get the Lottie part. All right. Anyways. (laughs) All right. Kind of in the same realm, but I think this is kind of going to be a big, uh, big factor on the defense this year is is kind of how these guys are used. So here's the question. Um, Does uh, Pew start opposite a sweat game one or is he strictly going to be a third outside linebacker in a four three set if we go against Bama's run offense? This is not for game one, but for the rest of the season as well, Um, I guess. Bob, I guess, what are your thoughts on, I think the question is Pew and how he's used and I guess how how this defense kind of works around a guy that, that came on late last year and, and had a really good spring. Yeah, I think we'll see Jacob in a, in a couple of different roles. I, I could definitely see him in the 4-3 against running teams. I think he's he's versatile enough to, uh, you know, to get in some different packages. Kind of like what Brennan said, though, let's not get caught up in who starts. It's situation where there's so much depth there at all of these positions you know he's going to play a lot um you know i i still haven't kind of figured out you know what the best situation is for jacob but i think when he's on the field he he's just very instinctual and he knows where to be and he knows he can kind of read the play and, and i think that's really good he's i still say he's he's not a linebacker he's a buck end but they seem to have so many of these kind of tweener types and and he's He's really going to make an impact. Um, I, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how he does this year. I, I think the big thing with Pew is that you, you know, playing Bama, I think you need to bring the heat. I think you try to pressure Hurts, but you don't leave big running lanes. I think that's kind of the defensive mentality you approach with. I think Pew's an excellent guy for that because, well, he can come off the edge and rush. He's also very intelligent, kind of sit and reading, recognizing and reacting I think he's good in that sense. So I think he plays what role. I agree with Bobby's probably more like a buck end is how I would technically define him. But I think against Bama, you know, you, you throw some curveballs. You have Derwin coming off the edge. You have Maxie Thomas maybe working off the edge. Adonis Thomas is a guy you probably want out there because he's pretty rangy, pretty athletic at that second level. Kind of can, you know, make up for a mistake at the first level type of guy. So – out of the gate, I think Pew is a guy that you play almost in a linebacker role, a little bit off the line. I think against certain opponents, you can put his hand in the dirt, play him off the edge. But he can play at different levels, and that's why he's so effective. And the thing I've always liked about Jacob, I've seen Jacob dating back to when he was at Jefferson County, then God being now, of course, FSU. The thing I like about Jacob is his athleticism is kind of sneaky. As he's gotten bigger, he wasn't always so thick on his frame back then. But as he's gotten bigger, he's still a pretty damn good athlete. He's a kid that can turn and go and play in a short-range intermediate defense. So I think that he, against Bama, is a guy you kind of – you allow him to clean up mistakes. I think against other opponents, you allow him to apply to pressure. So I think it depends on who you're playing. But out of gate, I think he's – play him a bit off the line. Let him you know help out those guys if they mess up at the front four. I think with Bama, you play kind of honest with the front four and try to bring heat off the edges with other guys. This may be a little bit of hyperbole here, but it's the offseason, so what the hell, hyperbole kind of kind of carries us. I, I think Pew may be like the most – I'll put it this way. I think he is 
the biggest wild card on the defense with his ability to play at a high level consistently, kind of tying everything together uh, with all the other pieces they have. And obviously there's guys who are more talented and, and have you know, bigger uh, NFL aspirations like a Derwin James or Tavares McFadden. But but Pugh's ability to, like you guys have alluded to, to do a, a lot of different things well, um, if he can do that consistently and Florida State staff finds a way to do that, uh, I think that will add a ton to the defense. And, and I guess I'm basing that off of I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of I'm at the final final couple games of uh, rewatching the defense from last year and documenting all the plays and stuff. So I don't have the numbers completely uh, done yet, but but the amount of time Florida State went to that four three defense with Pew as that Sam, uh, excuse me Sam linebacker uh, was the most that we we've seen it since at least since I've been covering Florida State where they've had that that formation. I think they maybe did that five well, percent of the time in twenty sixteen or sorry twenty fifteen, and I think in twenty sixteen last year. Uh, by the end of the season, that was part of their rotation, like 30% of the time, 25% of the time. Uh, and it was partially because of the type of offenses they were playing. But even against teams that were going with four wide receiver sets or trying to spread it out a little bit later in the year, they were fine using that that linebacker as kind of a hybrid type of player guarding the slot or blitzing off the edge uh, when it wasn't when it wasn't Pew, it was Brian Burns uh, against Syracuse. Uh, and it, I think that ended up being maybe the most successful uh, formation that Florida State had last year. When we talk about getting 11 guys out there that, that kind of fit and, and maximizing your skill sets and, and your best players, uh, I think that really tied things together nicely last year for Florida State. So I guess I'm kind of operating on the assumption that if they do that again this year, especially earlier on in the year against an Alabama, that's going to do some spread stuff but still do a lot of power-heavy run. And, and I think we'll see the same for Miami, which will incorporate RPO but still do a lot of you know power running. Having a guy like a Pew is going to be huge. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers uh, A.T. Lottie Noel. I got it right this time. I don't know if that answers his question directly, but I, I think we all kind of agree he's he's a big part of the defense. Do you think that's like too high, hyperbolic of me to say that he he's maybe the most, uh, at least one of the most important pieces, him playing well? I, I think he's a guy that can help you scheme effectively against a particular opponent. So I think that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, FSU is all about versatility on defense. They play a lot of DBs, but at the end of the day, you want your DBs to kind of squash a passing game. With Pew, he's a guy that can be effective against run, effective against a pass, can be a pass rusher. He can kind of help neutralize a tight end or a running back out of backfield. You know, he can plug a hole if you need to play kind of tight in the bunch. So there's just a lot of things he can do. So I think he's a pretty important piece to the whole puzzle. Um, you know, I, I – you're not replacing Walker with one guy. You got to do it with a group of guys. Burns can be your sack master. Pew can kind of be your run stuff or edge setter, clean up the things when things come back to that side of field. So you, you do it with the group. And I think Pew's a big, important piece of that group. He's also a veteran who understands what the hell he's supposed to do. He took a big step forward in the spring and showing that he can be super consistent. I think that's been the biggest issue with Pew in his mm-hmm. career. He's been good in flashes. But he'll have games where he doesn't do a whole lot and he'll have games where he's really good. I think he's now prepared to be pretty consistent game to game to game and be a dependable piece of that defense. Yeah, spring game MVP, or sorry, spring MVP, not just the game, spring. And he looked really good in the spring game as well. Um, he's a guy that, that the staff is really high on. And I think we all kind of concur that he's he's going to, at the very least, uh, be a big part of Florida State's defense kind of with mat- matchups and stuff. And who knows, maybe he can kind of dictate terms of games if he if he's consistent. Uh Let's move on. Uh, Knowles twenty four seven ID. Uh, 
Uh, here's the question. I'm not sure if you guys have discussed this on any previous podcast. I don't think we have. Uh, who do you foresee being the tougher game between Miami and UF? Uh, Bob, I will let you... I'm talking slowly so you kind of marinate on that question, but I'll, I'll let you uh, lead us off of that. Do you think Miami or UF this year is a, a tougher matchup for Florida State? Uh, and real quick, uh, Miami is... Uh, what third game of the season at home for Florida State, and then you know uh, Florida is uh, what's well, at, at Gainesville this year, right? And at the end of the season, so yeah, I think you could almost argue this one either way. Florida being at the end of the year, you could kind of see a situation where that offense needs time down in Gainesville to progress with uh, with Zaire potentially at quarterback could be Felipe Franks too. Um, I think the Miami game feels to me like it could be tougher just because that's a really good defensive front for Miami against an FSU offensive line that is still going to be coming together and, you know, figuring out protections and, you know, pass protection from backs and and tight ends will also be a concern. You know, I, Miami has been very, very close for the last few years and the game last year, obviously the way it went down, it could have gone either way. I can see Miami, even with all of their warts, um, starting a new quarterback, potentially a true freshman on the road. It, it sounds crazy to say, but I, I could see Miami, you know, being a tougher game than Florida. It was funny. I was on the big three roll up last night. And the last question I was asked by those dudes was which program in the state is number two to FSU. They asked that said, to everyone. I think that's kind of, yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of their go-to, but the, you know, Josh threw it at me and I think Kevin Silk wanted to hear it too. I said that I thought Florida at this point was ahead of Miami, but I don't feel like the gap's very big at this point. Um, as far as FSU opponents, I think Miami's a little more difficult because of the defensive line, but Miami's offense is very much a to be determined. You know, their quarterback play is completely an unknown. And you got to be good at quarterback play to beat FSU, in my opinion. You got to be able to put points on the board, and you got to do that in the passing game. FSU is going to be effective against the run. And the way you get it is breaking three, four, or five big passing plays that capitalize into 21 or more points. Um, with that in mind, I don't really think Florida or Miami is super primed to be real good at that. You know, I don't think their quarterback situations at either school is very good. But I think Miami is a more difficult task because, one, it's earlier in the season, two, their defensive line is better. And FSU's O-line is obviously the big question mark for me. So I would say Miami over UF, even though I think UF's actually the better overall program right now. I told uh, I told those guys I thought UCF was uh, number two in the state. They did not that, like that. That's because you're a Knights homer. I almost called you a Golden Knights homer, but I know how you <laughs> sound about that. How dare you? Uh, but but I, I think I had kind of the same answer at the time. I think yeah, Florida is ahead of Miami, but but – I would agree with you here. I think Miami for this season uh, probably presents more of a challenge to uh, to Florida State. I, I think, like you said, that defense, that front seven is really good. It returns a lot of guys who are young and, and productive. Uh, last season, uh, the fact for Florida State that it's at home early in the year I think helps a lot as Miami's kind of going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Well, not kind of. They will be breaking in a new quarterback, and whether it's Nikos Perry or someone else, yeah, I don't know yet, but I think that plays to Florida State's um, advantage and I just I mean truthfully Miami's played Florida State tougher than Florida has throughout four quarters than the the last couple of years I, I think you know last few years have been kind of coin flips and could have been determined you know with with a couple of plays here or there for Miami Florida State 
uh, Florida Florida State has been more than a couple plays here or there. It's been more Florida State kind of turning out to control the games later on uh, in the contest. So based on you know recent history, based on I think what, like you guys said, the quarterback situation at Florida is still kind of an unknown. I don't know how that defense is going to be as, as the – most champ guys kind of trickle out of the program. I don't you know, know if recruiting and some of the bad you know, recruiting rankings are going to catch up with Florida finally. Uh, I, my guess is they will, and I think Miami's going in a better direction uh, to start catching up with Florida and then surpassing them and start pushing FSU a little bit more. Uh, I just think Miami this year is a, is a tougher game for Florida State. Um, so I guess we all kind of agree there. Sorry, guys, we're all agreeing on a lot of stuff. It's when you have three really smart, like-minded human beings talking, we're going to agree on a lot. All right, T.C. Knowles, 1993. Uh, a lot of defensive questions today, guys. I like it. Uh, do Matthew Thomas and Josh Sweat finally uh, totally break out, finally totally break out to be the five-star studs who we think they will be this year? Um, so I guess do they live up to their potential finally as, as five-star guys? And presumably, you know, Matthew Thomas, uh, a fifth-year senior, and Josh Sweat's a junior, this will probably be the last year for both of these guys at Florida State. So uh, will they have the impact that, that the recruiting rankings kind of have said they you – know, they should have had and maybe they haven't quite lived up to that potential yet do you guys think that that we see them become dominant type of defenders this year i think matthew thomas definitely does i think what we saw out of matthew in the orange bowl is what he is and what he can be um i think he finally puts it together and kind of does it for a whole season with sweat i think we have to readjust what he was as a high school prospect because he did have that catastrophic knee injury Mm -hmm. he's changed a lot physically as a player from what he was the last time we saw him in a high school game to what he now is in the college game. Um, so I think he will be very good. I don't know if he'll live up to the billing of what he was supposed to be back when he was called a five-star and potentially number one player in the country. You know, I don't think he's that same person, that same player. I think he's still a very good football player who has a major role in this defense. But if I was picking one of the two, I'd pick Matt. I think Matt's got a chance to really shine. I think he has a chance to make FSU's linebackers look as good as they've looked in years. Yeah, I think with Matthew Thomas, there's just a really long wait to finally see what he could do because of the injuries and, and the uh, suspension. But it seems like he is really enjoying football. He is productive. You know, like Chris mentioned, what we saw the last couple of games of the year, that's really what we could see in 2017. And kind of looking forward to seeing him, you know, hopefully healthy for a full year and, and being productive. Yeah, like Chris said too, with Josh, I, I think. Again, the bar was set so high. You know, you looked at what he could be, and and then that catastrophic injury really early in his senior season. I think he and his dad have both said that he's 100. percent And I, I think I've always wondered if if that's really the truth. I think Josh plays through probably more knee pain um, than than other guys normally. I think that's just it's part of the game. It's part of football with every player. But I think in Josh. In his case in particular, that's more of a case. But look, the guy is smart. He's instinctual. He knows what to do. I think he, he's he he's got this defense down. I think he'll be good stopping the run on the edge if he is that strong side defensive end. I know he doesn't want to be there, um, at least from what we were gathering. But I think he might be the best option at times to play that position. I think they're going to have to limit his reps. I, I'm not certain that he can play anywhere near the number of a play that DeMarcus did, but he also doesn't need to, you know, you can probably plug in some other guys behind him as backups. And but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to a big year from sweat too. Um, 
Chris, I got a question for you with Sweat. Like, I think the the thing that we see watching, it's evident. Like when you watch him and Demarcus Walker both come off the edge, uh, at least off the snap uh, last year. Like Walker, just so much quicker off off the jump, especially like on an obvious passing down uh, than Sweat. And I think that's kind of the main criticism of, uh, that people have had of Sweat. He's really good against the run. Um, once he kind of gets going as a pass rusher, he's been effective. I uh, start he kind of finished the year on a really really nice streak last year, but his initial burst hasn't been great. And is that more him kind of coming off the catastrophic knee injury? <laughs> is there any other way to describe a Josh Sweat knee injury than a cat- catastrophic? That's all I ever write, and I think we've all done it on this podcast. Um, is that more him than knee injury, or was he even when he was at top, tip top shape in high school? Chris was he kind of um, a little slower off the get off, uh, at least that initial burst. The, the knee injury changed his fluidity. It changed his explosion to some degree. Um, I, I think that he will improve in that department this season. I think we saw late last year that he did play better in that department. He was much better off the snap against teams. Uh, you know, after kind of the UNC debacle, he played better ball down the stretch last year. Uh, but he's never going to be the same explosive being he was. I mean, he was a long lanky kid that looked almost like a receiver that was playing D end who exploded off the line and had real good lean and got there very quickly. Kind of some Brian Burns elements. And once he had a knee injury, it's more like he's taking steps towards the quarterback instead of like ice skating towards the quarterback from yeah. a fluid standpoint. So I don't think that comes back, but I think he can improve in that department. I think he did improve some last late last year. I know he's been working hard this summer. I saw him out at the opening. I talked to a couple people that have been working with him this summer. And uh, he's certainly focused on, you know, putting together a big year and making that jump to the pros after this year if everything goes right. So I I think we see his best ball this coming season. But going back to the original question about the rankings, I just he he was ranked as a different player than what he is today. He Mm -hmm. the injury changed him, it changed his Body formation, it changed the way he plays the game. It changed the way he explodes off the ball. He's just a very different player than what we knew when he was a dominant high school football player. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. just means he's a different player, and people have to alter the way they view him. Yeah, he may not be that dominant pass rusher. I think that that a lot of pundits kind of thought he could be, but he could still be an effective one. And uh, Bob alluded to it, really good edge setter, really, really good against the run uh, when he's on. Uh, his A game is is pretty elite uh, and kind of playing in space and defending the edge, setting the edge, whatever. Uh, he's really good against the run. So uh, I I think, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, Matthew Thomas was ranked between, I'm trying to think of who he was as a recruit, between Jonathan Allen and uh, Jalen Smith from Notre Dame. Um, so the, both of those guys, I mean, Jalen Smith was on track to be a uh, first round pick uh, and Jonathan Allen was obviously a stud at Alabama and kind of changed into his role and his body. But um, so that's kind of when you're talking about Matthew Thomas and his expectations, like that, those are pretty lofty goals. I don't know if he's quite going to be that that, that complete of a, a player at the college level, but I do think, uh, like you said, Chris, um, what we saw in the Orange Bowl, I think is his ceiling, and I think he can reach that more consistently this year. Like, listen, the, the optics, like his, his stats got much better last year, but he looked just so much more comfortable uh, after that UNC game around that time, and he's kind of talked about that before, is after that pressure kind of kind of fell off and, and there wasn't this this microscope on him anymore, he kind of felt more free. I mean, he was out of place a lot early in the year. He just looked tentative. Uh, he made plays because he's athletic, but 
but he was out of place a lot and just doing some some bizarre things uh, where he just didn't look comfortable out there. So if he is comfortable and, and based on what we saw the second half of last year, it seems like he finally kind of clicked. If that carries over, then he's going to be a really good linebacker. I don't know if he ever you know lives up to that billing of, of that you know, top 10 player in the country because you know the guys around him were essentially first round draft picks you know Smith would have been before the injury I don't know if he works his way into being a first rounder uh, but I do think he'll be really good uh if, if he feels you know if he plays confidence he'll be he'll be an impact player and the same for Sweat I and mean, I think he still has the upside of being a first round pick which when we're talking about the rankings putting these guys at five stars is kind of what you're you're ranking them as as, as future first rounders and uh like Chris said I think there's kind of a a cap on what Sweat can be as a pass rusher, but as a complete defensive player, like, yeah, yeah, I, man, I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, and both of them can be really high impact players on a really good defense. So, um, you know, I think we all kind of agree that, that their upward trajectory there, that, that they're going in the right direction. Um, I'm not sure whether they live up to you know, being top five, 10 players in the, you know, in the country, but I do think that we're going to talk about their careers as not being bust. Uh, by the time it's all said and done, we're going to talk about them pretty fondly, I think, after this season, which is, you know, I think kind of the, the name of the game there. Um, all right, last last question here, guys, is from Gladiator26. Uh, and again, another defensive-based uh, question, but but I kind of like the way this uh, sets up for us to kind of conclude things here. And it's, what do you like slash dislike about uh, our defensive scheme? Uh, Chris, I'll let you... Uh, run with uh, that one. You know, what, are your, what are your thoughts on FSU's defensive scheme under Charles Kelly? What do you like, dislike about it? I like that in general it tries to take the strengths of the players and play to them. Yeah. You know, if a guy can come off the edge and be a pass rusher, he's a pass rusher. If a guy's, you know, take up space and consume a couple bodies, he's that guy. What I don't like is that it seems like at times guys either don't get it or don't give a shit to get it. Um and it allows for busted and big plays and it's guys being out of position. And sometimes it's very simple. I mean, I know from dealing with enough of the players on the field last year, after games, talking to them, dealing with coaches on and off the record, that there was clearly last year, a point where the defense didn't believe in what they were doing. And they kind of scaled it back and went to something basic. And they were a better defense when they did that. My opinion on that is that, some of that is on the scheme guys being confused and some of that is on the guys not wanting to take to the scheme, mm-hmm. you know, want to play in something more basic. So I think what I dislike is that, you know, it seems like you almost have to be perfect for the scheme to work great. You know, there's not a whole lot of room to deal with error when you have error, it turns into huge plays and some of the issues we saw with FSU's defense last year. So whether that's solely on coaching, solely on players or a mix of the two, which I think it's a mix of the two, they got to figure that out. If they want to be an elite defense, which they have the talent capable of being a very high-end defense, they have to figure that out. I think my preference in general is to go more man-to-man in the secondary and, and not so much of the pattern matching. It seems a little bit too complex um, to, to get a good grasp on. You know, when you have this level of elite talent in the secondary, and look, Florida State and Alabama, you can argue either way, they're one and two in the nation in terms of the, the talent and the depth of talent in the, in the secondary. I think you almost just want to go straight up man-to-man and let the best players take away the playmakers on the offense. Um, obviously, the scheme is going to look a lot better in 2017 with Derwin James on the field than the way it looked in 2016 without Derwin. Yeah, that'll that help. Goes without, <laughs> that goes without saying. I mean, he, he um, I, I think Charles Kelly mentioned it after the, um, it might have been toward the end of the 2015 season, 
he talked about guys being erasers on the field. And it was clear he was talking about a guy like Derwin James who, who can erase a lot of mistakes. And um, so, I mean, schematically, kind of a cop-out answer again. But when you got a guy like Derwin, it, it makes life so much easier. Um, I'm not totally against pattern matching. I just I would prefer a little bit more man as far as what you handle on a, on a play-to-play basis. And I think part of what we're seeing, what we saw last year too, is, is you know, the scheme has to not just fit the players, it has to fit with what the coordinator who's calling the plays is comfortable with. And, you know, Charles Kelly wasn't, you know, you know Jeremy Pruitt was the guy who taught the pattern matching. Once Charles Kelly was kind of able to call his defense and I think scale things down a little bit and start utilizing his personnel uh, more to his comfort zone, like the results were better. And yeah, like it was, you know, we've talked about this before is that the defense, you know, was going against lesser offenses. It wasn't going against the the murderer's row of quarterbacks and spread offenses that it had at the beginning of the year. But even against Clemson, uh, you know, the defense was better and played, you know, Clemson above average versus, you know, what Clemson had done against other teams. And that's something that that defense hadn't done against upper echelon offenses earlier in the year. Um, so so I like, you know, Charles Kelly came from kind of a 3-4 background at Georgia Tech and kind of implemented some of that with the 4-3 stuff with Pew where they would kind of move him around and, and late last season kind of started uh, blending between 3-4 fronts, 4-3, and, and different stuff. I'm getting in, into too much verbiage here. But, but basically, uh, like Chris said, I think that Kelly has done a nice job of utilizing his strengths. And I think if he's kind of allowed to to do that from the onset of the 2017 season I like that uh, I, I think that kind of bodes well for this group because there are so many versatile and, and talented uh, chess pieces you can kind of kind of utilize uh, I think the pattern matching has a place I just don't know if that's what you can do solely I think that creates a lot of issues it's something that you can do in the NFL because you have an unlimited you know amount of time you can more or less practice with college it's a little bit differently and then there's finite your know, resources for how much you know time you can kind of use guys for so uh, I think being more diverse on defense is a good thing for Florida State and we saw that last year um anything else you guys uh you guys want to add to that or are we uh we ra- ready to wrap this up this has been about an hour and 20 minutes of recording time I'm not sure how much of that's going to actually make it uh to the to the actual podcast because of Comcast but uh you guys good anything else you want to add I'm good. I'm looking forward to ACC kickoff. Can't wait to hear about how the U is back. Always one of my favorite national holidays. The U is back day. So fun times. Can't wait. Mark Walton's not very good. That's my. Uh, that's mine. He's overrated. How about that? You, you fans. Mm. I'm ready to hear about the strength of the coastal and um, see who the media picks. Uh, we we have to pick the dog with the least fleas. We have to pick from. Uh, a lot of teams that just don't have all the pieces, but um, it'd be interesting. It's good to uh, to hear from the coaches, and uh, we'll bring you a bunch of stories in Knowles 247 on Thursday and Friday. Off right. top of your head, who are you picking? Coastal. This, this is a Georgia Tech year, isn't it? You know, Paul Johnson, no expectations. I don't know. It, man, just just close your eyes and throw a, throw a dart at the board and hopefully hit something. It's the Coastal, man. <laughs> all right. Fair answer. <laughs> I, I think I'm leaning Miami, but I, I like the dart idea. I mean, I, I think in the past we've uh, we've been high on Georgia Tech as a media group, uh, maybe in the Justin Thomas years, and you know that was there was that one year where he just you know, the whole team was just bad. They were they were awful, but um, we'll see. Chris, who do you who do you have there? 
Truthfully, I'm just not sure. I uh, I, I, I kind of like the fight in Fuentes. I'm a fan of Fuente. I think he's a good coach. I think he's got that takes what he has and kind of plays to it. But again, I think they're a little bit off from a talent standpoint. I think Miami's defense is much better. I'm just not sold their offense is going to be all that impressive. So it's tough for me to jump on board with them. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not feeling Duke. Not really feeling Carolina. Yeah, at. Who the hell knows? It's the coastal. The coastal is really. When's the last time the coastal made sense? Uh, not since I've been like, covering FSU. Yeah. So, if I guess when I sit down to do my ballot, it's probably going to be Miami at number one. But I'm not entirely sold on that. Oh, so the U is back then. Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah, baby step. I thought you asked the question, Chris, because you had a good answer in mind. You just kind no. of no. <laughs> I was actually looking to copy off somebody's work. I just I don't know what the hell to think with Postal. With Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante, and Brendan Sano with Knowles 24-7 Podcast. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we'll hopefully be back uh, later this week with a couple others or at least one other podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.